1: The Radical, Fundamental Principles of Freedom, Rational Self-Interest, and Individual wants. This is The uran Brook Show. Welcome everybody to uh, the uran Brook Show. on uh, beautiful Saturday. Post Thanksgiving, post Black Friday, pre Cyber Monday weekend, right? I, I, you know, I assume most of you are shopping while the show is going on, uh, checking out the deals on Amazon and elsewhere, because uh, you wouldn't want to miss those uh, fantastic deals. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, um, of buying a drone. Um, what the hell? I mean, it, it could be fun, you know fly it around the island and stuff I mean it's it's hard to find anything to buy that I need and don't have and I think a, a drone I don't have and I while well, I don't really need it it, it would be a l- I think it would be fun so I think I'm gonna buy a drone this weekend uh, and uh, play around with it here in Puerto Rico that should be fun maybe travel around maybe travel with it when I go and uh, you know I could film my talks from anyway Um I hope everybody's doing well. I hope you've had a great weekend. I hope we have, um, um, you know, I hope you haven't missed me too much. I know I did a Thanksgiving show, and, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of you didn't watch it. It, it was Thanksgiving after all. But uh, we will be back on a uh, better schedule moving forward. But, you know, Cap- uh, Capitalist Nick says we need a prominent real-time schedule on the website it's not going to happen I mean I can you know I could tell you I'd like to have that too but it's just not going to happen um, I, I'm just not not organized enough this, this, I don't devote enough time to just this there's too, too much other things going on in my life to be able to have a uh, you know to manage all that and it's just not worth it Those of you who that's why live listenership, is optional. Uh, you can you can always listen to it, not live. Uh, those of you who catch it live, cool. And uh, it's gonna be on and off kind of thing. Uh, I do expect to do a lot more shows in December because I'll be home most of the month. Although I, I will be going, uh, I'll be traveling this week, this coming week. But uh, once I get back from that, the rest of uh, the rest of it. Um, The rest of the month, I'll I'll be home, and early January, I'll be home, and then then it gets nuts again with travel. Uh, But even when I'm home, it's like there's all kinds of stuff going on, and and for me to commit to a schedule is just too difficult and not clear to me what the upside is, what the upside is. Why, why, Why is Murphy saying I'm a coward? Coward for doing what? Huh? All right. Um... Super chat is on. Anybody wants to ask questions, and I just spend two dollars calling me a coward. Uh, go for it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you can ask the questions. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some of the programmatic stuff first, and then catch up with your questions. So uh, I will I will copy and paste them into files. so I don't lose track of them on the chat, but I will get to all of them uh, during the show. So if you have actual questions other than come to my farm, I don't know where your farm is. I I don't know why I would come to your farm. Anyway, um, but farm drone actually sounds pretty cool, so maybe maybe I will. Um, if you want me to uh, – Tom says come back to the University of Arkansas. I'm willing to go anywhere, you know, if somebody pays me to come. So if you can – my speaking fee is uh, $5,000 to $10,000, depending on the, uh, on the, um, on the venue – so uh, if you can arrange for an invitation and arrange for somebody to pay me my speaker fee, I will be there. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy these all these free shows. All right, let's see. What are we doing? Oh, Ron Paul. Man, I haven't talked about Ron Paul in years and years. And I was at a conference. I was somewhere. And somebody mentioned Ron Paul and his support for Maduro in Venezuela. And I said, no, he doesn't support Maduro. I said, yeah, 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 he really does support Maduro. And I said, okay, well, I have to look into this. So I came back and I looked into it. And, of course, he does support Maduro. And so in 2012, when he ran for president, I was hugely anti-Ron Paul. I mean, I was really, really anti-Ron Paul. And I got harassed, harassed for, you know, being... Anti-Ron Paul. Ron Paul was like the savior. He was anti-the-fed. He was, he was, you know, he was pro-liberty, he was pro-freedom. How could I be against him? He was gonna save the Republican Party. He was the best by far, the best candidate the Republicans had ever had for president. He was the had the most integrity. He was like just the best guy ever. And uh, a, a lot of people, just like today with Trump, a lot of people kind of brushed me off. Although with Trump, it's like a thousand times worse. Uh, a, a lot of uh, People call themselves objectivists, um, and, uh, and people uh, who, uh, who you know, were libertarian and so on just brushed me off and, and attacked me, and, and it was pretty brutal in those days, just like it's brutal now with Trump. In those days, it was the Ron Paul thing. And I stuck to my guns, as I usually do, and I'm, I'm usually right about these things, and I, you know, I was right then, and time has just proven me wo- more right than even I expected. So, um, you know, uh, why was I opposed to Ron Paul back then? Well, because I thought he was thoroughly anti-American. I thought that anybody who blamed 9-11 on basically U.S. foreign policy had no clue about foreign policy and was basically a hater of America. In all of his speeches, I got this tinge of support for the anarchist you know, wing of the libertarian movement, kind of the Murray Rothbard wing, which I despise, and uh, so so he smacked of, of, of again, I think Murray Rothbard in particular, and, and of, of this anti-Americanism, uh, hatred of America above all, right? And uh, I thought that is, I thought that he he his talks on um, every time he mentioned Wall Street. There was this sneering and, you know, hatred for bankers and a almost implied anti-Semitism in there. It could never really catch him on it, but it was like, ugh, it was just borderline. Those evil bankers, it was just there, implicit. And I, I, you know, I didn't trust him. And of course, on foreign policy, I thought he was it was horrific. And. Um, he, he was against any American intervention. Of course, the, the supporters said, oh, no, 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 he's for, um, you know, defending in, in a, in a, in a, um, he's for, if America's attacked, he's for self-defense. And I said, no way, he's not for self-defense because he's not just hates the state. He hates the American state more than all other states. And people said, no, you don't know what you're talking about, Iran." Anyway, so... I looked up this Maduro stuff. And and you know, once he, he ran for president in twenty twelve and it, it did pretty well for a, a crazy guy, and then um, he retired from politics and he founded the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Right? Peace and prosperity. And so I looked up. I said, it can't be really, you can't really support this. Somebody says, why do Jews love playing everyone I disagree with as an anti-Semitic? Because so many people are anti-Semitic. Ron Paul has a, I mean, I didn't say he was an anti-Semitic, but he, you know, there's an implicit hatred of bankers and implicit kind of blame that sounded anti-Semitic to me. And the more I read of von Paul, the more I think he probably is, and and uh, the, the von Mises Institutes and many of those people back there, I, I think there is a bit of the anti-Semitic thing. And uh, look, there are a lot of anti-Semites in the world. And if you don't believe it, if you don't believe me, just go, you know, listen to Nick Fuentes or, or, or you know, look at the history. Look at what. Look at what the Nazis did or is that a mythology as well is that a conspiracy theory we made that up yeah von Mises was jewish but nobody everybody else at the Mises institute was not is not and uh, they have distorted and perverted distorted and perverted his philosophy his ideas uh, his economics to suit a completely a completely different political philosophical agenda that i think von Mises would be horrified by. Von Mises also wasn't an anarchist. Von Mises also didn't, again, implicitly support the South. Not implicitly. These guys explicitly support the South. So, All right. Uh, by the way, if you want an answer on USS Liberty, just use the super chat feature. I'd be happy to answer that. Um, that's to, the, to one of the guys in the chat. So I looked him up, and... Uh, not only did I find stuff on Maduro that is just unbelievable, but, uh, I, you know, n- North Korea, Hong Kong, Iran, all pop up because they spent a lot of time at the Mises, in, at the, sorry, Ron Paul Institute, discussing, discussing. These kind of, um, they spent a lot of time discussing foreign policy issues. And it is truly, truly disgusting, offensive, once you start reading this stuff. It's truly unbelievable. I mean, Maduro is described as, you know, just a democratically elected president of Venezuela. He's no dictator. There's no corruption in the elections. Chavez was just a, a, a democratically elected president. And indeed, I mean, it's... The Ron Paul Institute should be could be titled the Ron Paul/Noam slash Norm Chomsky Institute. This is where the communist anarchists of Noam Chomsky and the Ron Paul anarchists are basically the same. And I guess that shouldn't surprise me, but it still it surprises me because people still support these people. So it's not that socialism has starved the Venezuelan people. No, 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 absolutely not. Chavez and Maduro are democratically elected leaders of a country that's tried to stand up to the United States, try to be independent. And yeah, maybe they didn't implement the libertarian policies of Von Mises, you know, very well, but that's not what's starving Venezuela, no. I mean, Venezuela would be fine today. Venezuela would be thriving today. If not for U.S. sanctions. Straight out of the leftist playbook. Straight out of Noam Chomsky. The only reason, and, 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 and what's his name, Michael Moore. The only reason Venezuela is struggling today economically. The only reason Venezuela is poor is because of the United States. Right? I mean... And the reason the United States is doing this is we want the oil. We want the oil. It's, it's U.S. oil companies that are behind U.S. policy, which is basically starving the Venezuelan people. It's all about the opposition, and this, I'm quoting from their article, the opposition to Maduro inside Venezuela comes from the elites who have been traditionally allied with Washington in the looting of the country. That's when they were rich is when I guess they were looting the country for the US. And now that Chavez and Maduro have made them poor, there's nothing to loot. These corrupt elites, the article goes on, with the CIA's help, no reference, temporarily withdrew, uh, overthrew Chavez in the past, but the people in the military, military secured his release and returned the presidency. I mean, Chavez is a hero. I mean, I'm, I, I'd be surprised if they don't consider. Che Guevara and, uh, and Fidel Castro, heroes at the Ron Paul Institute. I mean, I, I, the, 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 the guy who tried to steal the elections in Bolivia, right, was recently kicked out of the country by a popular revolution. The Ron Paul Institute claimed it was a CIA coup. Filled, I mean, conspiracy theories up to the wazoo, but one consistent, one consistent thing throughout the entire, throughout the entire episode, throughout the entire uh, publications, it's always the U.S.'s fault. It's always the U.S. that it's evil. It's always the U.S. scheming behind. Ortega, who is just, basically become a dictator of Nicaragua is again he stands up to the US and therefore according to Ron Paul he's a hero the real evil in the world is the United States government. The real evil of the world is America, according to the Ron Paul Institute. This guy is as anti-American. Anti-American as Noam Chomsky. And of course, many libertarians love Noam Chomsky. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Ron Paul Institute considered Noam Chomsky a hero. So I said, okay, well, that's the view of Maduro, right? It's, it's the view of he's the democratic elected, he's a good guy, he's trying to establish sovereignty. By the way, according to the Ron Paul Institute, in spite of the anarchist influences, the most important thing in the world is sovereignty. Sovereignty other than U.S. sovereignty. Right? Other than U.S. sovereignty, the most important thing in the world is sovereignty. And sovereignty as opposed to U.S. influence which is considered the essence of evil. So what about North Korea? Well, here's a a title from one of the Articles at the Institute. Why I hope Maduro wins, that's Venezuela, he wins, Venezuela has continued to starve, this, the socialism continues to, fl- to flourish in Venezuela, right? Maduro wins, and North Korea keeps its nukes. See, North Korea is just trying to protect itself from evil America by having the nukes. And anything that holds America at bay is good, and maybe having a North Korea with some nukes to offset the influence of America, maybe that's what's necessary in order to be peace and prosperity, which is what the Ron Paul Institute is all about. And of course, why are people in North Korea starving? Well, not because of socialism, no, no, no. You're just a simpleton. It's not socialism that starves people. It's not authoritarianism that starves people. It's not dictators that starve people. What starves people is America. It's American sanctions. American sanctions are responsible for North Korea's poverty, for North Korea starvation. This is the Ron Paul Institute. This is not me making this up. You can go and search and find the articles.
0: Right?
1: And what's the most important is the support is to support the sovereign right of the people of Venezuela or anybody else to shape their nation in accordance with their will. You know that Murray Rothbard celebrated when North Korea overtook uh, sorry, North Vietnam overtook South Vietnam. And established communism throughout the the Vietnam Peninsula, uh, uh, throughout the Vietnam state. Why? North Korea, uh, uh, North Vietnam was communist. You'd think that was the opposite of what Rothbard was against. uh, The opposite of what he was for. That you would think that somebody like my Rothbard, who claimed to be a capitalist, would be violently opposed to the imposition of communism over the South Vietnamese. No, he said. It's the will of the people. The will of the people. The only place in the world where Murray Rothbard and and Ron Paul and their lackeys, the only place in the world where they believe that the will of the people is irrelevant is the United States. The United States for Rothbard and for Ron Paul and for the Mises Institute, is the epitome of evil. I mean, they are supporting North Korea. They say, you know, what we should do with North Korea is leave them alone, stop sanctioning them, stop threatening them, as if we're threatening them, right? And the way to help the Venezuela is to end the sanctions, which are starving them, not socialism, remember. And the most important thing we can do Is respect the nation's sovereignty. Now, let me say something about sovereignty. I've said this in other talks in the past. A dictator has a a country run by a dictator is not a sovereign country. A country that violates individual rights through and through is not a sovereign country. North Korea is not a sovereign country. Venezuela today is not a sovereign country. Iran is not a sovereign country. Ayn Rand talked about this. you have every right to invade a dictator you don't dictatorship it doesn't mean you should you have to make sure it's in your interest. you have to be egoistic about it. but dictatorships do not have sovereignty you don't have sovereignty if you're in mass violating rights. There is no right to violate rights there's no sovereignty comes from the people in the sense that sovereignty comes from protecting the people's rights, from doing the function of government, not from just having power and control. Now you think, again, this is, this is again why I'm so opposed to libertarianism. You'd think libertarians would get this, but not this brand of libertarians. And again, the, the hatred towards America, American empire, they call it,
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: That is just unbelievable. And then it reaches a a height of evil in my book is when they talk about Hong Kong. You know, the the demonstrations, really a semi-revolution going on in Hong Kong where the, the, the Hong Kong people are basically declaring that they do not want increased Chinese influence. They do not want authoritarian Chinese in Hong Kong. And they're going to the streets and they're fighting the police with the idea of getting rid of that extradition law, which was evil and the imposition of Chinese law on Hong Kong. And they're fighting to get the ability to vote. For the chief administrator of the Hong Kong territory, not just for candidates Hong Kong, uh, China approves of, but to vote, uh, have have a real vote, not just a fake vote that the Chinese approve of. And they're fighting left and right for this, and in my view, unbelievably heroic. And I wanna read you some of the headlines in the Ron Paul Institute's. Articles about the Hong Kong. Right here it goes. The U.S. stunt in Hong Kong will make other issues more difficult. Stunt. It's a U.S. stunt. It's not Hong Kong residents fighting us off. Hands off Hong Kong. Violent protests in Hong Kong reached their last stage. This was in August. Doesn't look like it's the last stage. And notice the violent protests. Not the violent oppression of the protest by the police, the violent protests. Violent color revolution in Hong Kong fails despite strong New York Times support, I guess. Behind a made-for-TV Hong Kong protest narrative. I mean, just basically, Ron Paul is taken on the view that the whole protest in Hong Kong a U.S. CIA conspiracy. And his view is that China has a right to Hong Kong. This is, this is how they write about it, right? Firstly, he says, the protest opposed the extradition bill as a wider means of opposing Hong Kong's continued integration with China. That's all true. Arguing that the one country, two system term imposed by the imposed by the British upon Hong Kong return under Chinese sovereignty in 1997 must be upheld. But Ron Paul doesn't believe in one country, two systems. He wants Chinese authoritarianism over Hong Kong. It's their right, he says. I mean, it is mind-boggling that somebody who stands for libertarianism, supposedly liberty, advocates for the exact opposite of liberty, advocates for an authoritarian regime and the imposition of authoritarianism onto their unto New people, people who are free right now. He says, they write here, the story of Hong Kong is one of territory violently seized by the British Empire from China in 1841, being controlled as a colony for nearly 150 years and begrudgingly handed over to China in 1997. That's the story of Hong Kong, not the story of freedom. Who cares who controls Hong Kong if the people, they are free. It is so horrific and evil. I mean, truly evil. He doesn't care about individuals. I mean, this is pure collectivism, pure collectivism. Hong Kong belongs to China. And since it belongs to China, whatever China does with it is fine. And if they want to violate people's rights, that's fine. And God forbid if, if if UK happens to occupy it and bring them freedom and get them to become rich, well, that's illegitimate because who are the British to give freedom to the Chinese? Today, he write, they write, the Anglo-American international order, Anglo-American international order, is fading with China now the second largest economy on earth and poised to overtake the U.S. at any time. I mean, with relish, they write this, with economic and military power, now on China's side, it has incrementally uprooted the vestiges of British colonial influence in Hong Kong. What are those vestiges? What have they uprooted? Freedom, capitalism, property rights, rule of law, But to hell with those, what's important is that Hong Kong not be influenced by America and its evil ally, the United Kingdom. And then they go on to it. Hong Kong's elected government is now composed by a majority of openly pro-Beijing, again, democracy, democracy. Hong Kong people voted for pro-Beijing people. Therefore, it's okay for pro-Beijing people to violate the rights of, of, of individuals. Now what's fascinating about that last paragraph, this was written in July or something, or June or July, is that since then there have been elections in Hong Kong just last week. And the citizens of Hong Kong voted overwhelmingly in unprecedented numbers for the opposition. They basically kicked out all the pro-Beijing parties and politicians. So that that portion of the Hong Kong electorate, which doesn't have, of, of the Hong Kong political bodies, that don't have a lot of political power. Those portions are now overwhelmingly ruled by the opposition. So I wonder if the Ron Paul Institute will now change its tune about Hong Kong now that the people have spoken. Or they'll say, which is likely, that the people have spoken because the CIA has been bribing them, giving, handing out money to get them to elect, and it's really election fraud, all instigated by the United States. I mean, they are, they are pro the extradition bill. It's just, yeah, I, I don't want to even go on with this. I don't want to give them too much time. But, you know, people ask me why I'm against it, why I don't call myself a libertarian. That's why. Because that is as bad as any wacky leftists. That's as bad as Noam Chomsky. That's as bad as as, uh, Bernie Sanders. That's as bad as AOC. I mean, it is truly nuts and evil. Nuts is too good because that assumes, you know, they're crazy. They're not crazy. They're just damn evil. They don't care about individuals. They don't care about liberty. They don't care about freedom. What drives them is a hatred of the U.S., what drives them is international collectivism. The collectivism, the sovereignty, the, the, the rights of every country other than the U.S. and the people influenced by the U.S. because the U.S. has been such a horribly influential country according to them in the, in the world. So no, so I despised Ron Paul in 2012. I despise him more today. And anybody affiliated with him, associated with him, I think it's, it's counter to everything we stand for in objectivism. Uh, politi- this is just the politics. I'm not even talking about the fact that he's religious and the fact that he's creepy on other issues. I'm just talking about politics. Politically, we're opposed to everything Ron Paul stands for. And as such, how can I be a libertarian and share a tent with him? I'm not in the same universe as Ron Paul. I'm not on the same political spectrum as Ron Paul. Ron Paul is a you know, he's a unbelievable collectivist. If the spectrum is individualism versus collectivism, Ron Paul is a collectivist. Right there with Noam Chomsky and Donald Trump. And I won't have anything to do with any of those people. Ah, all right. Um, we have got a bunch of uh, a bunch of super chat questions. Let me try to get ones that are relevant to this. Uh, what are your detailed arguments against Hoppe? Hoppe is an ANCAP student of Rothbard, pro-medieval feudalism, alt right and conspiracies. There you go. I'm. I'm. My detailed argument's against Harper. My detailed argument's against ANCAP. ANCAP is a contradiction of term. You cannot be an anarchist and a capitalist. You have to choose one or the other. Capitalism requires government. It's not a, a, a necessary evil. It's a necessary good that is required in order to have capitalism. You have to have the rule of law to have capitalism. You have to have property rights to have capitalism. You have to have the recognition of individual rights under capitalism. You cannot have any of that under anarchism. Uh, so I'm opposed to his ANCAP. I'm opposed to everything uh, that is Rothbard. He's uh, pro-medieval feudalism, which is just the, the epitome of barbarism in my view. I mean, middle, e- middle evil was a barbaric, horrible period of time. And anybody who supports it, and a lot of libertarians think that feudalism was, was, was wonderful. I mean, yeah, life was short, you know uh, uh, miserable y- you know poverty was everybody was poor. it was just a horrible, disgusting period of time to be alive. So anybody who would glorify medieval feudalism is an enemy of liberty, an enemy of humankind, an enemy of progress, an enemy of technology, an enemy of capitalism. there is nothing good about medieval feudalism. Nothing good came out of medieval feudalism. The great art was when medieval feudalism started to disappear under the Renaissance. The great progress materially came under the disappearance of medieval feudalism, the actual creation of the state, and 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 the the the, the 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 Enlightenment. Yeah, David Friedman is the same thing. He likes he likes the anarchy in Iceland where people slaughtered each other left and right because there was no central government there were no laws there was no legal system there was no rule of law so everybody killed everybody all the time so that whole again that whole version of libertarianism which unfortunately is, is fairly dominant that that Ron Paul exemplifies and the Hoppe and Rothbard and, and and to some extent, David Friedman, it's just it's 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 nuts, and it's it's wrong, it's evil, it's collectivist, it's statist, it's it's anti-individualist, it's anti-freedom, and you see the consequences in Ra- in Ron Paul's foreign policy. It's the necessary implication of what they believe. I mean, America is the most evil state ever because it's a success. Um, and what was the last one alt-right? Yeah, I mean alt-right is, he's a racist, Hoppe is a racist, and a conspiracy theorist, and again, you know my views on conspiracy theories, and on alt-right, and if you don't, I've done shows dedicated to conspiracy theories, and I've done shows on the alt-right. I'll be doing another show soon on the alt-right, because it has a new spin. Um, uh, You know, now the alt-right is going after everybody who's not to the right, according to their definition, of, of, of Donald Trump, including Donald Trump himself, his son, uh, Charlie Cook, the huge supporter of Donald Trump, uh, uh, Ben Shapiro. They're going after them viciously, and I'll talk about that in one of the shows. Uh, So Hoppe, on almost every issue, I am opposed to, I despise, uh, I think is wrong. And again, that whole version of libertarianism, in my view, is out. Out. It's anti-liberty. It's anti-freedom. It's anti-individualism. All right. Um, best source on Chomsky for misunderstanding fans. Um, I, I mean, I don't know what the best source on Chomsky is. All you have to do, all I do, is listen to Chomsky, and it's 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 gibberish. It's nonsense. It's wrong. It's evil. It's from beginning to end. The guy's just wrong. Now. Maybe I need to take one of his talks and, you know, dissect it for you to show where and how it's wrong. But Chomsky is just a delusional, you know, evil, conspiracy theory hater of America. And all these conspiracy theories. Well, look, the conspiracies, like the American Revolution was a conspiracy. But the kind of conspiracy theories that Chomsky and Ron Paul and and Hoppe advocate for are bunkers, have no basis in reality, have no connection to real facts. All right. Um, So I I don't have any source on Chomsky. To me, it's kind of makes sense if I just listen to him. So my source is me, my mind, my knowledge. is is my source. Um, If you're a fan of Chomsky's, then really listen to him and and think about it, right? Um, I'd be happy to do a show on Chomsky, debunking Chomsky. Let let me find an appropriate, um, you know, an appropriate talk of his or interview with him that I think would serve well to do that and I promise to do a Chomsky thing. Uh, By the way, you can find my debate with a Hoppe uh, anarchist that I did in Poland, uh, uh, you know, about a year ago. Uh, You can find that online. So just look for your Brook debate anarchy and you'll find it. All right, let's see. We got a lot of questions. Um, All right. uh, I get why you guys want a real-time schedule so i you know I, if i were you i would want a real-time schedule too I, it's just I'm, I'm being realistic here and i'm telling you my priorities and i'm saying it's unlikely to happen um you know i'm glad when you catch the show live and when you spend money on super chat that's fantastic but it's just not going to happen every time because i'm not going to be able to put up a real-time schedule it's just given my the way I live and the stuff going on in my life and how busy I am, how many different things I do that are unrelated to this show and unrelated to objectivism and unrelated to all that. It's just not possible for me to commit to a schedule in advance um, you know, for you to integrate. thats I'm just saying it's reality. All right. Um, what are your thoughts on Rand Paul? Is he as bad? I don't think he's as bad, or at least that's not my impression is he's not that bad. But um, He's still bad, and and he's and my respect for him, whatever respect I had, has really dissipated uh, recently uh, because of his support, and and he's become a lackey of, of Donald Trump. So, uh, you know, so I've 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 lost much of my, the respect that I did have for him. I thought he was smarter than his father, more thoughtful than his father, but I maybe that's just an act. And the fact that he is so enamored with this is Rand Paul with Trump and with um, with. Trump's nationalism and supportive of it uh, is truly disappointing, but not, not really that surprising. I think it's, I think it, it, it makes complete and utter sense that he would be that way. And, you know, it's tragic because for a while there, he was one of the few people who actually advocated for things like cutting government spending. And that's all gone out the window, you know, given Trump. So, We don't even have that voice anymore. So I don't think he's as bad as his father. I think his father is particularly influenced in a a particularly bad way and and in a dominant way by the Murray Rothbard wing of the libertarians. I don't know about Rand Paul. I've met Rand Paul once. um, But I've been very disappointed in him and I wouldn't be surprised if he was in the end turned out to be just as bad as his dad, just better at disguising it. Um, okay, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, my friend says he's a little bit libertarian, but also says Facebook is too big and needs to be regulated. Can you give me some points to bring up to him? I mean, I've spoken about this so often, so many times that who gets to decide what's too big? Who is the arbitrator of such things? If you believe in free market, how can you b- give that kind of power to government? If consumers think Facebook is too big, they would stop using it. If, if it's too big to run efficiently, then competition would drive it out of business. Um, it, it's, there's just no free market case for, uh, for Facebook. And, and that's my point about libertarians libertarianism stands for nothing it doesn't mean anything you can be a libertarian and advocate for leaving Facebook alone and free market let it rain you can be a libertarian and advocate for breaking up Facebook you can be a libertarian who believes that the welfare state should be abolished you can be a bleeding-heart libertarian and believe that the welfare state is is a good thing and indeed what we need is a is a universal basic basic income you can be a libertarian who thinks that the most evil force on planet Earth is the United States government You can be a libertarian who doesn't... I mean, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. And, of course, that's just politics. That's the easy stuff. What about morality? What about epistemology? There's no philosophy. There's no ideology. There's nothing to unite libertarians. And, therefore, I am not a libertarian. So he's just a statist. If If he believes Facebook should be broken up, he's a statist and a collectivist. And he believes that the government... Should have the power over what is too big, therefore it should have crucial power over the economy. I do recommend Ayn Rand's article on antitrust that ex- that is in capitalism unknown ideal it 's the best thing written about antitrust. I recommend it, and I think I think uh, it'll be good for you to to um, engage with your friend okay thoughts on the USs liberty for those of you who do not know the USS liberty was an American uh, ship that was uh, a, basically a spy ship, uh, it had, uh, you know, it was listening devices and things like that, There was in the Mediterranean, in international waters, uh, during the 1967, before, uh, during the, before and during the 1967 war, but it was, it was an American spy ship that was spying on Israel and on the Arab countries surrounding it. Uh, during the crisis of uh, leading up to the 1960s. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? it was uh, destroyed by the Israeli Air Force. And I can't remember how many people died. I, you know, I, I looked into this years ago and, and looked into all the conspiracy theories around it and all the other stuff around it. And, um, and American sail- sailors died uh, as a consequence of Israel bombing the USS Liberty. And, of course, there are all these conspiracy theories that say, well, this was the United States, Israel basically attacking the United States of America and, and destroying a ship, and, and and now, you know, somebody says here forty dead, and a hundred injured, which I, I don't know if that's true or not because I, I believe the guy who's saying it is a conspiracy theorist, but let's say it's true. I mean, I, I I don't have the facts in front of me to argue against those numbers. Um. But so this is 1967, and um, Israel is basically bombing. The United States. Now, the obvious reason this happened, and, and the one that's, you know, got ninety nine point nine percent credibility, and the one that is, uh, you know, unequivocal, is the fact that this was an error, that this was a mistake, that Israel did not recognize it as an American vessel, um, and uh, that it bombed it and killed and later apologized for it. But let's say that's not even true. Let's say, I mean, what, what is the option, I guess? Well, the option is that the Israel wanted to declare war in the United States, wanted to bomb it out of existence. Really? Israel, this tiny country that was just taking on seven Arab countries in a war in 1967, wanted, in addition to those seven countries, to take on the United States of America, wanted to make the United States of America its enemy. I mean, isn't it much more likely that they thought it might be a Russian ship or they thought it might be an Egyptian ship. Or they didn't know, and it was had listening devices on it, so they bombed it out of the water because they were about to engage in an existential war of self-defense that if they lost, they would be wiped out and dead. Right. It wasn't a false flag attack to blame Egypt or Russia because nobody bought that Egypt or Russia did it. Everybody understood that Israel did it. Everybody including the Americans. And yet the American government came to the conclusion there was an accident. And the American government, which was hostile to Israel, not hostile, but neutral towards Israel pre-1967, actually supplied no arms to Israel up until 1967. From 1948, when Israel was established, until 1967, not a single weapon was delivered by the Americans to Israel. All the weapons Israel had in 1967 war were European weapons. Then after 1967, America became the largest arms supplier to Israel. Now, if, if Israel had really bombed an American ship, would America have done that? Well, of course not. The only reason they, I mean, they did it, because they recognized the fact that it was an error. And in war, in war, for those of you who've never been to war, those of you don't know war, those of you were naive about war. In war, a significant number of casualties. Indeed, in some wars, the majority of casualties are friendly fire casualties. War is messy, dirty, horrible. The fog of war is really a fog. Half the time, you don't know what's going on. And the idea, of the mistake studies is I mean, I, I have firsthand knowledge of Israeli pilots taking out whole columns of Israeli tanks. Is that, was that a false flag? No, it was an accident. Some of those pilots actually committed suicide afterwards. I know just examples of stupidity. I can give you a first-hand example of stupidity. I mean, my unit in Israeli intelligence in 1982 identified a Syrian ambush a Syrian ambush over an Israeli column going into Lebanon. We delivered that intelligence the night before that could have prevented the ambush. And the people who we delivered that intelligence to, I literally, physically delivered the evidence. Drove the whole night, drove hours in the middle of the night to do it. And the people who received the intelligence refused to acknowledge it Accepted, And as a consequence, young Israelis died the next day in a Syrian ambush. It's no conspiracy theory. It's just stupidity, arrogance. Fog of war. War is hell. The USS Liberty episode has been looked at over and over and over again over the years by commissions of Americans, Israelis, and so on. And the overwhelming it's not even a question, 100% certainty is that it was an error, it was a mistake. And to think otherwise is not to understand. Israel did not need to attack the U.S. to pretend that it was Russia in order. I mean, they won the war without any American help, zero. There was no American help during the 1967 war. And yet they eviscerated the armies of seven Arab countries in six days, It's called the Six-Day War as a Consequence. They didn't need to convince the U.S. that some other country was attacking them so that they would join the war. And indeed, it didn't work if that was the goal. And the U.S. would have done something about it if that was the case. So, all right, um... Somebody somebody said that the army of Singapore was trained by the Israeli army. Yeah, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, a lot of armies around the world, a lot of small country armies around the world have been trained by Israelis. Okay, somebody writes, I find Jeffrey Tucker to be only Rothbardian with anything interesting to say, particularly his attacks on the alt-right. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, Jeffrey Tucker, I don't know how Rothbardian he is. He's certainly an anarchist. Um, is a often a good thoughtful writer and his attacks on Trump and his attacks on the alt-right his attacks on racism I think are uh, uh, quite good um, but also is for Ayn Rand is kind of I mean he claims to be a big fan but then he, 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 he says silly things about her and I mean yeah of, of all of them Jeffrey Tucker I enjoy reading some of his stuff uh, uh, particularly when he goes after the, the kind of alt-right and, and when he goes after Trump um. All right, uh, what do you think of the objective leftist versus objectivist controversy? <laughs> well, what do you think I think of it? <laughs> I mean, I'm the number one objective le- leftist in the world, according to those accusing anybody of being an objective leftist. Um, I think it's insane. I think there's all there is is objectivists. There are people who understand the philosophy, and there are people who do not. And there are many people out there who think that the primacy, that, 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 the primacy of politics, that everything is political, everything is politics. That's not an objectivist view, and that's why they're not objectivists, and who think that any criticism of Trump, any advocacy for more, significantly more immigration, uh, any attack on nationalism is represents leftism and therefore objective leftist um, that is ignorance of objectivism it's ignorance of the philosophy it's ignorance of Ayn Rand and it's an insult to the people who are the biggest advocates of objectivism in the world today me and many of those at the Ayn Rand Institute you might not like everything we argue for but to imply that we're leftists, disguising ourselves with objectivism, is um, dishonest. And, uh, and they know it because they know they're not, you know, they're just not objectivists. Now, I'm not saying you can't support Trump and be an objectivist. I think you can. I think you're wrong, but you can certainly support Trump. Um, you can be anti you know, immigration, and and be an objectivist. I think you're wrong, but you can certainly be that. But the idea that anybody who disagrees with you is therefore a leftist and therefore non-objectivist is insanity. Um, but that reveals what many of them are, and I, I don't call anybody alt-objectivist or anything like that because you're either an objectivist or you're non-objectivist. There's no something objectivist. You either adhere to Ayn Rand's ideas. So you don't adhere to Ayn Rand's ideas. And many of those people, I'd say, anybody who calls me and others an objective leftist is not an objectivist. The very fact that you would use that kind of terminology suggests how, how stupid and how non-philosophical and how unprincipled uh, those people are. And they're just not objectivists. So there is no... Some kind of objectivist, neo-objectivist, alt-objectivist. Now, I, I you know, you can say I, I think those people are more conservative than they are objectivist, and I think many of them are, uh, or they're alt-right, but they're not objectivists anymore once they adopt these conservative ideas and these, uh, uh, you know, alt-alt-right ideas. Uh, and some of them, some of them are flaming racists. Some of them, not all of them, uh, some of them are. Uh, uh, are just ignorant of individual rights, and they have no concept of how to apply the concept of individual rights in politics. But, you know, there are always conflicts. People disagree. People go their own way. People go their own direction, and uh, that's good. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, you know. We, we don't, we're not going to agree on everything. But don't claim Ayn Rand in, in, as the author of your bad ideas. It's what I complained about David Kelly when he wanted to use objectivism to define his organization when he repudiated principles of objectivism. That's fine. You you can repudiate principles of objectivism. Just don't call yourself an objectivist. And it's the same thing with some of these conservative alt-right types who call themselves objectivists. They're not objectivists. That's it, which is fine. You don't have to be an objectivist. I don't think it's that important to be an objectivist. I think the truth is important. I don't think they're interested in the truth, but that's a whole other issue. All right. um, Are flu shots a status scam? No, I don't think so. I mean, you're not required to take a flu shot. You can take a flu shot if you want. It's pretty clear that flu shots give you some immunity against certain flus, and usually during the season they tell you what percentage? What the likelihood that the flu shot? I mean, you've got all the information. Decide whether you want a flu shot. I sometimes have a flu shot. Sometimes I don't. Um, I don't think it's probably. I don't think it's bad for you, and I don't particularly think it's good for you, given the probabilities and given the science. Um, but it has nothing to do with the state because the state doesn't actually administer the flu shots and doesn't require them. Doesn't require them. Um, let's see. uh, Are you excited about Michael Bloomberg? No, I mean, there's no way I'm going to be excited about Michael Bloomberg. I mean, he is a statist, interventionist, um, paternalistic, horrible, middle of the road leftist. I guess, right? Moderate leftist. I hate Bloomberg. He's everything, I think, you know, everything that's wrong. Is he the best candidate the Democrats have? Probably. Would I vote for him over Donald Trump if that was the choice? Probably. Because for the reasons I've already articulated, I I believe Donald Trump is one of the worst options, one of the worst presidents we've ever had. But am I excited about him? No, I can't be excited. I'm not excited about anybody running for president. Certainly nobody on the Democratic platform excites me. Um, but I don't think he can win the Democratic nomination. He, he just, He's too New York. He's too Jewish. He's too rich to win in the, De- in the modern Democratic Party. So I think he's too late uh, entering the race, and I don't think he can win. He's not going to connect with the working class. He's not going to connect with the kind of people that for some reason Biden connects with or 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 that or that uh, Sanders connects with some of the Trump voters who I think would vote for Biden or Sanders over trump, maybe, but uh never would vote for michael bloomberg so no I'm not excited and i and i I really think he's so far he's got so little coverage he's he's very weak very weak entry uh a non interventionist libertarian told me to go fight in Hong Kong, otherwise, anything else is fake and counterproductive, will just lead to worse problems for Hong Kong citizens. How to support Hong Kong? You know, support Hong Kong by giving them moral support, by, by arguing for them, by telling them, you know, they are right, they are just. Uh, that's all you can do. I mean, there's no reason for you to, to, to fight for Hong Kong, it's not your country. There's no reason for you to go over there and, and fight. Uh, unless you want to live in Hong Kong. Uh, But, again, this is so materialistic, which is so many libertarians are, right? It's all about materialism. It's all about the fight. No, it's about ideas. It's about presenting ideas. It's about arguing for ideas. It's about fighting for ideas. Ideas shape the world, not battles. So if you want to fight for Hong Kong, articulate... The ideas of freedom, ideas of liberty, so that so that you know, give them the moral support, the moral courage to keep going. You don't have to go fight there. That's that's such a barbaric alternative. You either fight for them or don't talk. You you know, it's meaningless. No, there are ideas at stake. There's real ideas at stake here. You've got to support liberty, and by doing by Supporting the protesters in Hong Kong, you're supporting freedom and liberty. Give them then intellectual ammunition to keep fighting. Okay, David Kelly made some important contributions in his Intro to Logic textbook. Any thought in the direction he took in his contributions? Aye, um, yeah, I mean, he might have made some important contributions in the Intro to Logic textbook. Um, you know, he had another book, and uh, I, I forgive me, but it's a long time since I dealt with the kind of David Kelly issue. But he had some other con- – he had so- another book, which I thought was unbelievably rationalistic, and I think other intellectuals within the objectivist movement thought it was very rationalistic. Um, that that – um, I don't think it was his logic textbook. It was the book he did before that. Um, I, I – I, you know, I think he disagreed, and I'm not going to get into it now. He disagreed with objectivism about fact and value – And then he went on to add two virtues to objectivism. And again, you can think that Ayn Rand was wrong about the virtues and there should be two more. But that, and that's fine. I have nothing against that. You can make an argument, a good argument or a bad argument for that. There's nothing to say that everything Ayn Rand said is carved in stone and never changed and it's the truth and that's it. Um, But then don't call it objectivism what you call it is is Kellyism or whatever. I, I I think I'm my you could say my ideas are my ideas are based on objectivism. I'm a, a fan of Ayn Rand's a lot of my epistemology is the same Ayn Rand but I, I disagree with her about these virtues and here's why. And that would be fine. But to say this is objectivism, objectivism is a so-called open system. Anybody can add anything to it, then who arbitrates what is an, is an objectivism? Now, you say the truth, but who, who gets to decide the truth? It's philosophy. So we as individuals get to decide. The whole point of Ayn Rand saying no, Ayn Rand said explicitly no. My philosophy, my philosophy is objectivism. It's what I wrote. It's what I articulated. That's it. That's objectivism. Was to protect against David Kelly? Was to protect against people claiming to speak for the philosophy of objectivism? What I say on the show is not objectivism. It's Iran's interpretation, application of objectivism to current events, to his understanding of ethics, his understanding of my understanding of all these things. It's not part of the corpus of objectivism. Only what Ayn Rand wrote is part of that. Objectivism, in that sense, is a closed system. The truth is open. But don't try to benefit from association with Ayn Rand. Don't try to benefit from the association with Ayn Rand and at the same time advocate for ideas that she did not advocate for. Maybe they're consistent, maybe they're not. All right. Uh, let's see. And I, and I think the organization he created is, for the most part, a joke. And, and not serious, not intellectually serious, not serious in really any way. And adds nothing, adds nothing to the debate, discussion about objectivism. Um, okay. New York City got rid of bail for people who have been arrested. The rationale being that it is disproportionately hurts poor people and is unnecessary, thoughts. I mean, that's what bail bonds are for. It does disproportionately hurt poor people. I mean, it's one of the many, 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 many reasons you should try to not be poor. But, you know, um, I, I think the bail system is a good system. You do, you, there's certain people who should not be out in the street, and uh, there's certain people who, because of bail, uh, are not going to run because the real financial consequences to them. So, I, I, I think I like the bail system to the extent that I've given it any thought. I could change my mind uh, if I thought about it more, but I, I, I don't know. There's no, I, I don't. I haven't seen anything that would change my mind about it. By the way, bail is usually set based on your financial ability. So bail for wealthy people is set very, very high. Let's say a U.S. company moved some of its business in a, like, in a country like China. How does the U.S. respond if that country steals the intellectual property of the U.S. company? It depends. It depends. Um,
0: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Now, I've articulated this in the past. Again, it's a, you ask these questions, and they're complicated questions. It's hard to answer them quickly, which is what I try to do in Super Chats. But here's my view. In a rational world, the, the, the U.S. relationships with other countries were divided into several different categories. One of those categories was with countries where the United States had no sanctions over, did not prevent anybody from trading with did not prevent anybody from going to, did not prevent anybody from moving their manufacturing to, but warned its businesses, look, if you go to this country, there is a real risk they will steal your intellectual property. They will steal your property. They will do X, Y, Z. We can't defend you. We don't have the means. We're not going to send the Marines in. So you do so at your own risk. That's China. If it was a friendly country like France or Britain, then there's a rule of law and the United States could use its diplomatic power to say, well, what are you guys doing? This you're violating this you know, the law. But if it's a if it's a now and if it's a if it's a country that you don't have any any leverage over, and you're not gonna go to war over, then It's the U.S. company's risk to take. Now, I think there are ways, diplomatically and elsewhere, where the U.S. could put pressure on China and could have put pressure on China in the past, and and in order to reduce that, and I think it would be in America's interest, and I think that's what some of the levers of what's called soft power are there for, but... I don't think Trump is doing that. I don't think anybody is doing that uh, because I, I don't think the trade war is about intellectual property. It's about Trumps and others' misunderstanding about trade deficits, or, or just a complete lack of understanding of trade. But the way to do it is 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 to use whatever diplomacy, but no, not not through sanctions. Certainly not through tariffs, which is the dumbest way possible to do it. Okay, can you explain the protest violence in Chile? I thought the economy was in good condition. What I've read in the news doesn't explain it. I'll do a show on Latin America and I'll do that on Chile. You know, again, I, 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 there's too much to say about it. And it's, it's related to the yellow vest, it's related to a lot of the upheaval in the world right now against what you would call the elites and the people in power. Is it okay to monopolize an essential means of human survival, water, land, considering them just property? Doesn't that make others your slaves? Well, but you're making a huge assumption that you can monopolize. There's no way to monopolize those things. There's water everywhere. There's, uh, and, and, and you can't exclude certain things that cause other people to die. So, for example, th- there's a long understanding in property rights that if you buy property that surrounds somebody else's property, you have to give them the right of way. So there are all kinds of things like that that recognize that you can't just um, use your, your economic power to destroy, to, to make it impossible for others to live. And, and that would relate to w- w- land and water. And it's not new, and you don't need, I mean, there's existing law, that common law that makes complete sense in this regard. But it's also impossible to monopolize water and land. It's just, you can't do it. A bill just passed supporting Hong Kong. Do you think it can help them? Yeah, I think any moral support helps. I think any moral support helps. The idea that people are thinking of them, that people support them, that people and you can see it in their stance. Now, I think what really helps is this election that happened in Hong Kong where people voted against the, the Chinese status quo and voted for opposition parties, and, and it really has shaken things up, and I think that has given the protesters, who are mainly students, the sanction of the silent majority in China, in Hong Kong, which was assumed to be pro-China. The assumption has been that the silent majority in Hong Kong is pro-China. And what the election showed is no, the overwhelmingly, dominantly, silent majority is for the protesters. And that is is huge. but any moral support, I mean, I've, I've accused Trump over and over and over again in the last few months of not providing them moral support for the, for the Hong Kong protesters. I mean, he, he should have done what Reagan did, and I think it's so, so important to, to speak up and to talk about it. So um, the elections in Hong Kong were, were really an important, important event. Um, okay, this is going to be my last, uh, my last Super Chat question because I want to cover quickly this inequality issue. Uh, I know your focus is on the audience, but do you feel you made a dent in your four discussions with David Pakman in discussing objectivism? He seemed genuine in his questions, but not too philosophical. Yeah, I mean, my my sense of David Pakman is he's not philosophical at all. He was not interested, for example, in the early sessions where I tried to talk about morality. He was not interested in defending an alternative moral view. He he wasn't really interested in the deeper philosophical issues. and no, I don't think I made a dent with him, but I never really care about making a dent with them. I, I care about the audience. And, and did I make a dent with the audience? I, I got a lot of new subscriptions from those um, discussions, from those debates. So subscriptions spiked. So with some people, yes, I made a difference or they discovered me or whatever. And it's why I do those kind of shows. It's not so much them. It's to get new people to come and listen and to come and engage. And um, Again, um, it worked in that context. It worked in that context. All right. uh, Let's see. Oh, yes. Inequality. I want to talk quickly about inequality. Um, And uh, let me just open the screen. You know, I wrote this book called Equal is Unfair. I highly recommend it. You should all... Purchased it and read it. Uh, I know most of you have not yet purchased it, so I encourage you to do so. I think it's an important uh, book. I think over the last, I'd say, eight years or so, uh, inequality has become a truth that it, 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 it is almost like climate change. It's just unquestioned. Inequality is getting worse. It's it's getting worse in the sense that the rich are getting richer. And, and, and implied in that is that it's at the expense of the poor, um, that the poor are not getting richer, that uh, wages are delinked from productivity. I did a whole show about that. And that generally uh, the world is much worse for the kind of working middle class and uh, their standard of living is lower. And uh, it's all driven by this inequality that is really, really evil. And again, I talk about this in my course, in my, um, sorry, in my book, with Don Watkins, and it's called Equal is Unfair. It's on Amazon, it's on Barnes & Noble, whatever. Equal is Unfair, you can look it up. And part of the issue I claim, and I think I prove, is that it's irrelevant, that inequality is an irrelevant issue. Who cares what inequality is? But there's constant literature about inequality is getting worse, the poor are getting Staying poor, the rich are getting richer and richer and richer, and there's no improvement in the standard of living of anybody else. And the rich don't pay many taxes. I mean, there's a whole literature, primarily by uh, Piketty, this French economist, and his American co-authors. And I've talked a little bit about some of their papers and why they're wrong and why they're so um, meaning, you know, they're, they're, they're so deceptive. But this has become like truth, like gospel truth. You can't question it. It's like I'm an inequality denier, right? Well, I was therefore pretty shocked, shocked, to see the, f- the cover of The Economist magazine this week. Now, The Economist, I've always viewed as left of center, Keynesian, very Keynesian, pro, never saw tax, they didn't like increasing except the world taxes. Very Keynesian, they love stimulus packages, they love all these things. And um, left of center, and yet even they, so they have a cover. And the cover story is inequality could be lower than you think. Uh, Oh, my God. Inequality could be lower than you think. And in a rare episode of journalistic honesty, they have a whole story about the complexity of measuring inequality, and our economists disagree, and how since Piketty's book came out, there are all these economists that have challenged the data and have presented alternative views, both about taxes and about how rich the rich really are, and is the 1% getting richer, and who is the 1%, and does it change over the lifetime, and what about mobility, and they, they just have... All this is now being challenged, and it's, it's, it's shocking to me that the economist is willing to be open to the idea that maybe this unchallenged truth that the world is just screwing the 99% is maybe just not true, even just as an empirical fact, never mind anything else. Now, I think it's wrong. I've said this many, many times. It's, it's, it's bogus data. It's based on fallacies. It's based on wrong stuff. But even among objectivists and, and free market guys, I see this idea that, you know, because of the Federal Reserve, prints money that goes to uh, increasing asset prices. The, the rich own assets, and therefore the rich get richer, and everybody else stays the same. And that's all true, in a sense that the rich get richer. But what does it ignore? It ignores massive other effects of the Fed printing money, keeping interest rates low. It ignores the fact that people's homes increase in value dramatically as interest rates get lower and lower and lower, and money is funneled. And middle class owns homes, and the poor own homes. 63 to 65% of Americans own their home. And yet, particularly in certain places, home values have gone through the roof, which means, quote, wealth, this wealth that's being so-called created, it's not being created, it's inflationary wealth, their wealth has gone up as well. It ignores the fact that mortgages are cheaper, so people can afford to buy bigger and better homes, particularly young people. Generally, debt is really, really cheap because of interest rate policies of the Fed, which benefits not just corporations and not just the rich, but it benefits all people. Again, not benefits in the long run, economically, in a real sense, but in the short run, in the the sense of the stuff we're measuring when we measure this stuff. It has all kinds of impacts on the economy, the fact that the Fed is flooding the economy with money and reducing interest rates that benefit people unequally in all kinds of ways. Indeed, many people have jobs that maybe pay more than they would otherwise pay, or maybe in companies that would go bankrupt. I mean, there's a massive number, massive number, Of companies that are probably zombie companies today, that in a real interest rate environment would have gone bankrupt. Because they can only survive today because they keep borrowing money at low, unbelievably low, irrational interest rates. And that has all kinds of impacts on workers, on bondholders, on I mean. My point is that the distortive impact of the Federal Reserve distorts the economy in so many complex ways that to o- simplify it by saying the rich get richer and the poor don't, or whatever, it's just wrong. It's just much more complicated than that. You know, this is the kind of secondary, third-level, fourth-level effects that, that Henry Hasler talks about in Economics in One Lesson. It's it's w- w- The Fed does, distorts everything in the economy in a way that is benefits lots of different people and hurts lots of different people and untangling who is who I'm not sure is even possible given how important interest rates are to every aspect of our economy so so I, I don't think the data shows that inequality measured by wealth or income has exploded beyond the kind of explosion that you would expect from a globalizing economy and the higher returns for talent, which have been well-documented in the research. You, you know, and here's, the, here's what a higher return for talent is. If you're LeBron James and you were playing in the 1980s, or you were Michael Jordan playing in the 1980s, your salary was capped by the size of the audience of the NBA, which was basically the U.S., The NBA today is much bigger. It's got a much bigger following in Europe and a massive following in China. As a consequence of the size of the audience, LeBron James can now be paid much, 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 much more money. So your talent now is spread over the entire globe because of globalization, because of telecommunication, because of all these things. And it makes it possible for people with extraordinary talent who have a market that is now global to make much more money than they could in the past. Think about Apple selling iPhones. Whereas in the 1980s, if you sold something equivalent to an iPhone, your market was the U.S. and Western Europe. But with the rise of wealth throughout the world, Eastern Europe, fall of communism, Um, uh, you know, of course, Asia, everything that's happening in China, but not just in China in India and Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, South Korea. Today, the market for iPhones is gazillions, you know, quite a bit larger than it was in the 1980s for something similar. So you can make, your volume is much, much larger. So other than that return for talent that is caused by globalization, I really don't see any empirical evidence that. Now, not that I would care, right? Because I don't care about inequality, and I've talked about that, the moral issues. And if you don't know my stuff on inequality, there are like, you know, dozens of my talks on inequality online. You can go watch them. But anyway, I find it really, really interesting that uh, the uh, Economist would run this story. There's also a story about. Sweden, which was interesting, in the same economist, basically saying Sweden has one of the highest ratios of billionaires per capita. Sweden. Um, and that they don't believe in punitive taxes on the wealthy because they know it doesn't work. And Swedes don't really mind the billionaires. And there's less, seemingly less envy. Now, I'm not sure I believe all that, but it, it's, it's an interesting article about. Swedish billionaires uh, and th- their existence. I, w- I mean, it's interesting because one of the I think you'll find if you do an analysis of Swedish billionaires, so many of them uh, are like old families that where the wealth was created a long long time ago. Although there, 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 there's some new billionaires there. Whereas American billionaires are mostly self-made in the sense of, of new, nouveau riche if you will. I think in Sweden a lot of it's old money. But it's Interesting that The Economist, and maybe a sign for a positive, that The Economist, a mainstream, left-of-center magazine, is coming around to the idea that maybe, just maybe, the left and everybody really, the right, libertarians, everybody overreacted to Piketty and to all of that garbage research that he and other economists put out there. And maybe there's an alternative story, maybe they should be open-minded and scientific, at the very least about the empirical evidence. Again, morally, it doesn't matter, economically, politically. Politically, it matters because, and this partially goes to the question about Chile, the more you tell people there's inequality, the more you tell people it matters that there's inequality, the more you tell people that inequality is a bad thing, that inequality is immoral and economically bad, the more you tell people that the rich are rich by exploiting the poor, the more the poor are going to be pissed off. The more the poor are going to be upset. And that's a big part of what's happening in Chile and in some other countries, is that the poor are being convinced by the rhetoric, by ideas, that they are being screwed by capitalism. They are being screwed, even though they're much richer than they used to be because of relative economic freedom in Chile. They've been told for the last six, eight years That they could be much richer, if not for those evil rich. And you've got, and nobody defends the rich. I mean, the productive rich. Nobody defends the productive rich. Nobody, nobody defends production. Nobody defends capitalism. Nobody defends free markets. So all they hear constantly, nonstop, inequality is evil. Inequality is increasing. Inequality is bad. Inequality screws you. They respond to it. They respond by going out in the streets. And I think ultimately that is. What explains Chilean? Yeah, Burt says, not even the rich, absolutely. The rich are the last people to defend themselves. So, because the rich feel guilty, because they buy into the rhetoric as well. you see it on Bill Gates. All right, hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll have another one tomorrow for uh, capitalist Nick, who wants a schedule. We'll have another one tomorrow. I think it's at 3:00 3 o'clock uh, tomorrow. No, Sorry, it's 3 o'clock my time. It's 2 o'clock East Coast time. 2 o'clock East Coast time, um, it, there will be another Yaron Brook Show. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you all there. Uh, in the meantime, those of you, this is a great time in December to start supporting the Yaron Brook Show. You can do so at yaronbrookshow.com slash support, yaronbrookshow.com slash support, or at subscribestar.com slash show. I appreciate all of you who support the show. December is a great time to sign up, and um, December starts tomorrow. Also, if you're interested in any of the topics here, there is a ton of material on my channel, a lot of lectures, a lot of talks, a lot of real, go into real detail about, about Israel, about Venezuela, about inequality, about libertarianism, about the Federal Reserve, Just do searches online and you'll find a doodle amount of information about all of this, at least all of my views on this. So have a great day. Have a great rest of your weekend. See you all tomorrow, almost at the same time, definitely on the same place. Bye, everybody.